Story Nori presents The Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling. Hello, this is Richard, and I'm going to be reading from the famous Mowgli chapters from The Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling. They tell the tale of a child who was brought up by wolves in the Indian jungle, and may even be based, rather loosely, on some real-life tales of wolf kids. If you've ever seen the film by Disney, you will know that Mowgli's great enemy is Shere Khan, the lame, man-eating tiger. I'm going to be breaking up the text into episodes of about 15 minutes each. Otherwise, these are the wonderful words that flowed from the pen of Rudyard Kipling. And I'm delighted to dedicate the first part to Story Nori's listener, Mira, in Malta, who supports us on Patreon. Part 1. Mowgli's Brothers It was seven o'clock of a very warm evening in the Sienee Hills when Father Wolf woke up from his day's rest, scratched himself, yawned and spread out his paws, one after the other, to get rid of the sleepy feeling in their tips. Mother Wolf lay with her big grey nose dropped across her four tumbling, squealing cubs, and the moon shone into the mouth of the cave where they all lived. Ah, said Father Wolf, it is time to hunt again. He was going to spring downhill when a little shadow with a bushy tail crossed the threshold and whined, Good luck go with you, O chief of the wolves. And good luck and strong white teeth go with noble children, that they may never forget the hungry in this world. It was the jackal, tobacco, the dish liquor. And the wolves of India despise tobacco because he runs about making mischief and telling tales and eating rags and pieces of leather from the village rubbish heaps. But they were afraid of him too, because Tabaki, more than anyone else in the jungle, is apt to go mad. And then he forgets that he was ever afraid of anyone and runs through the forest biting everything in his way. Even the tiger runs and hides when little Tabaki goes mad. For madness is the most disgraceful thing that can overtake a wild creature. We call it hydrophobia, but they call it Dewani, the madness, and run. Enter then and look, said Father Wolf stiffly, but there is no food here. For a wolf, no, said Tabaki, but for so mean a person as myself, a dry bone is a good feast. Who are we, the Gilderlog? the jackal people, to pick and choose. He scuttled to the back of the cave, where he found the bone of a buck with some meat on it, and sat cracking the end merrily. All thanks for this good meal, he said, licking his lips. How beautiful are the noble children! How large are their eyes! And so young, too, indeed, Indeed, I might have remembered that the children of kings are men from the beginning. Now, Tabaki knew as well as anyone else 
that there is nothing so unlucky as to compliment children to their faces. It pleased him to see mother and father wolf look uncomfortable. Tabaki sat still, rejoicing in the mischief that he had made, and then he said spitefully, Shere Khan, the big one, has shifted his hunting grounds. He will hunt among these hills for the next moon. So he has told me. Shere Khan was the tiger who lived near the Wangunga River, 20 miles away. He has no right, Father Wolf began angrily. By the law of the jungle, he has no right to change his quarters without due warning. He will frighten every head of game within ten miles, and I... I have to kill for two these days. His mother did not call him Lungri, the lame one, for nothing, said Mother Wolf quietly. He has been lame in one foot from his birth. That is why he has only killed cattle. Now the villagers of Wangunga are angry with him, and he has come here to make our villagers angry. They will scour the jungle for him when he is far away, and we and our children must run when the grass is set alight. Indeed, we are very grateful to Shere Khan. Shall I tell him of your gratitude? said Tabaki. Out! snapped Father Wolf. Out and hunt with thy master. Thou hast done harm enough for one night. I go, said Tabaki quietly. You can hear Shere Khan below in the thickets. I might have saved myself the message. Father Wolf listened, and below in the valley that ran down to a little river, he heard the dry, angry, snarly, sing-song whine of a tiger who has caught nothing and does not care if all the jungle knows it. The fool, said Father Wolf, to begin a night's work with that noise. Does he think that our buck are like his fat wine-gunga bullocks? Shh! It is neither bullock nor buck he hunts tonight, said Mother Wolf. It is man. The wine had changed to a sort of humming purr that seemed to come from every quarter of the compass. It was the noise that bewilders woodcutters and gypsies sleeping in the open and makes them run sometimes into the very mouth of the tiger. Man, said Father Wolf, showing all his white teeth. Are there not enough beetles and frogs in the tanks that he must eat man? And on our ground, too. The law of the jungle, which never orders anything without a reason, forbids every beast to eat man, except when he is killing to show his children how to kill. And then he must hunt outside the hunting grounds of his pack or tribe. The real reason for this is that man-killing means... Sooner or later, the arrival of men on elephants with guns, gongs, rockets and torches. Then everybody in the jungle suffers. The reason that beasts give among themselves is that man is the weakest and most defenceless of all living things. And it is unsportsmanlike to touch him. 
They say too, and it is true, that man-eaters become mangy and lose their teeth. The purr grew louder and ended in the full-throated roar of the tiger's charge. Then there was a howl, an untigerish howl from Shere Khan. He has missed, said Mother Wolf. What is it? Father Wolf ran out a few paces and heard Shere Khan muttering and mumbling savagely as he tumbled about in the scrub. The fool has had no more sense than to jump at a woodcutter's campfire and has burned his feet, said Father Wolf with a grunt. Tabaki is with him. Something is coming uphill, said Mother Wolf, twitching one ear. Get ready. The bushes rustled a little in the thicket, and Father Wolf dropped with his haunches under him, ready for his leap. Then, if you had been watching, you would have seen the most wonderful thing in the world. The wolf checked in mid-spring. He made his bound before he saw what it was he was jumping at, and then he tried to stop himself. The result was that he shot straight into the air for four or five feet, landing almost where he left ground. Man! he snapped. A man's cub! Look! Directly in front of him, holding on by a low branch, stood a naked baby who could just walk. As soft and as dimpled a little atom as ever came to a wolf's cave at night. He looked up into Father Wolf's face and laughed. Is that a man's cub? said Mother Wolf. I have never seen one. Bring it here. A wolf accustomed to moving his own cubs can, if necessary, mouth an egg without breaking it. And though Father's Wolf's jaws closed right on the child's back, not a tooth even scratched the skin as he laid it down among the cubs. How little, how naked and... How bold, said Mother Wolf softly. The baby was pushing his way between the cubs to get close to the warm hide. Aha! He is taking his meal with the others. And so this is a man's cub. Now, was there ever a wolf that could boast of a man's cub among her children? I have heard now and again of such a thing, but never in our pack or in my time, said Father Wolf. He is altogether without hair, and I could kill him with a touch of my foot. But see, he looks up and he is not afraid. The moonlight was blocked out of the mouth of the cave, for Shere Khan's great square head and shoulders were thrust into the entrance. Tabaki behind him was squeaking, My lord, my lord, it went in here. Shere Khan does us great honour said Father Wolf, but his eyes were very angry. What does Shere Khan need? My quarry. A man's cub went this way, said Shere Khan. Its parents have run off. Give it to me. Shere Khan had jumped at a woodcutter's campfire, as Father Wolf had said, and was furious from the pain of his burned feet. But Father Wolf knew that the mouth of the cave was too narrow for a tiger to come in by. Even where he was, 
Shere Khan's shoulders and forepaws were cramped for want of room, as a man's would be if he tried to fight in a barrel. The wolves are free people, said Father Wolf. They take orders from the head of the pack, and not from any striped cattle killer. The man's cub is ours, to kill if we choose. Ye choose and ye do not choose. What talk is this of choosing? By the bull that I killed, am I to stand nosing into your dog's den for my fair dues? It is I, Sheer Khan, who speak. The tiger's roar filled the cave with thunder. Mother Wolf shook herself clear of the cubs and sprang forward, her eyes like two green moons in the darkness, facing the blazing eyes of Shere Khan. And it is I, Raksha, the demon, who answers, The man's cub is mine, Lungri, mine to me. He shall not be killed. He shall live to run with the pack and to hunt with the pack. And in the end, look you, hunter of little naked cubs, frog-eater, fish-killer, he shall hunt thee. Now get hence, or by the samper that I killed, I eat no starved cattle. Back thou goest to thy mother, burned beast of the jungle, lamer than ever thou camest into the world. Go! Father Wolf looked on amazed. He had almost forgotten the days when he won Mother Wolf in fair fight from five other wolves, when she ran in the pack and was not called the demon for compliment's sake. Shere Khan might have faced Father Wolf, but he could not stand up against Mother Wolf, for he knew that where he was, she had all the advantage of the ground and would fight to the death. So he backed out of the cave, mouth growling, and when he was clear, he shouted... Each dog barks in his own yard. We will see what the pack will say to this fostering of man-cubs. The cub is mine, and to my teeth he will come in the end. Oh, bush-tailed thieves! Mother Wolf threw herself down, panting among the cubs, and Father Wolf said to her gravely, Shere Khan speaks this much truth. The cub must be shown to the pack. Wilt thou still keep him, mother? Keep him? she gasped. He came naked by night, alone and very hungry, and yet he was not afraid. Look, he has pushed one of my babes to one side already. And that lame butcher would have killed him and would have run off to the Waingunga while the villagers here hunted through all our layers in revenge. Keep him? Assuredly I will keep him. Lie still, little frog. O oh, thou Mowgli, for Mowgli the frog I will call thee. The time will come when thou wilt hunt, Shere Khan, as he has hunted thee. But what will our pack say? said Father Wolf. The law of the jungle lays down very clearly that any wolf may, when he marries, withdraw from the pack he belongs to. 
but as soon as his cubs are old enough to stand on their feet, he must bring them to the pack council, which is generally held once a month at full moon, in order that the other wolves may identify them. After that inspection, the cubs are free to run where they please, and until they have killed their first buck, no excuse is accepted if a grown wolf of the pack kills one of them. The punishment is death where the murderer can be found. And if you think for a minute, you will see that this must be so. And that is the end of the first part of The Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling. I will be back very soon with the next section when we shall find out what happens when Father Wolf takes Mowgli before the Council of the Wolf Pack. And I am delighted to dedicate this episode to Mira, who lives in Malta. She is nearly nine now, but she's been listening to Story Nori since she was six. Mira's nana, Dr. S. Bodishtianu, writes, I thank you that Mira knows nearly by heart Alice in Wonderland and most of the classic stories as well, as she listens to them over and over. Well, Mira, I do hope that you enjoy The Jungle Book. For now, from me, Richard, at storynori.com, goodbye.